Hi, welcome to the Your Adrenal Fix podcast, where we help exhausted and burnt out adults learn the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their health back quickly. My name is Dr. Joel Rosen, and I've suffered with my own adrenal fatigue problem, and now I've made it my mission to tell the truth about adrenal fatigue so that we can get to the root cause of your problem and really teach you how to put the puzzle pieces together so that you could tap into your hidden energy reserves and have all day energy. So this podcast is is for anyone who's struggling for years or feeling overwhelmed and burnt out or you're just feeling stuck you're going to get cutting edge information from all our different guests in different respected health fields to give you those important tidbits of information so that you can actually act on them and improve your health join us for our podcast i know you will enjoy it Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition about your adrenal fix, where we teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their health back quickly. And it's really exciting for me to interview a new friend of mine, um, Dr. Seth Gilson. Uh, Seth was born and raised in South Florida. He graduated with a degree in biology from the University of Florida, and then he completed his dental school at Nova Southwestern. He's been an avid sports sports and health enthusiast, and he's played soccer in both South Florida and New York at the collegiate and professional level. So he has a a mission to um, not only help oral health, but overall health, nutrition, environment, when he's consulting, diagnosing, treating, and coaching his patients and clients. So that's what makes it so interesting to talk to you today, Seth. So thank you so much for, for being on the call. Of course. Thank you, Joel. Yeah. So in that bio... Was there anything that happened or just you already knew you wanted to get into dentistry? Kind of tell us how you ended up winding up in the dental field. <laughs> well, it's um, it's not, nothing in particularly special, to be perfectly honest. Uh, after I, I mean, long story short, I, I was, my focus was professional soccer. And um, after sustaining an injury with that, I shifted and I was always into health and wellness. I, w- I was into nutrition and um, obviously fitness because that's where my focus was in my life. Uh, but when that shifted, I, I was also good at math and science. So I'm like, okay, my mom was an I- has been an ICU nurse since before I was born. So I kind of had that, that medical background in the house my whole life growing up. So I transferred to UF. I, I, I took an, uh, a course there called Introduction to Professional Medicine. And it kind of takes you through all the different professions in medicine and things like that, from chiropractics to uh, cardiology, uh, interventional radiology, and obviously dentistry. And uh, it was something I never really thought about, but I, w- I was really intrigued by it. So I started uh, getting involved in more research and shadowing different doctors at the hospitals and, and private practice. And uh, it really came to me that the one of the cornerstones of health that we just don't realize is our mouths it's it's how it's the most interactive other than our skin it's the most interactive kind of organ that we have with the with the outside world and what's going on with our mouth impacts what's going on with our body and one of the ways i i I refer to the mouth is a it's a doorway and a window and it's a doorway meaning things 99.9 percent of the time are only going in through the mouth but it's a, it's a window because you can also see the inside from outside. So a lot of times you can, we can tell what's going on with the mouth. Ba- I mean, with the body based off of what's going on in the mouth. 
Got you. So you knew once you did that, it kind of broke up when you mentioned the different course that you took. But I guess with all the different disciplines, it was a, a an immediate uh, resonance of this is what I want to do, and that I I see that there's this whole oral biome. Like, what was it that it, was that right from the get go? Is that sort of evolved over doing it? Yeah, that that wasn't right from the get go. Like my my initial spark of interest is like, oh, okay, that that I can use the, the knowledge and the things that interest me, but I, in my mind, like math and science and stuff like that. But there's also an artistic side to dentistry. And then there, it's more interactive with people. I, and it's very hands-on. And I, I was a goalkeeper in soccer. I, I was always using my hands. I, I like doing. I, I don't just like seeing or researching. I, and I appreciate research and, and reading and things like that. But the, the activity of doing and being an active participant in treatments and, and ongoing situations with patients was really intriguing to me. And like I said, I, it, it allowed me to explore my creative side in a sense because of that artistic aspect to, to dentistry as well. That was the initial kind of pull towards it. Okay, that's interesting because... I look back at my journey and I know when I injured my back and I didn't want to go for surgery and someone helped me that was a chiropractor, that's what I wanted to do, right? Because it, it sort of had that unique experience. So it wasn't like you had a specific experience with the mentor doctor that you decided to do that. It was just more of the the right the right feel at the right time. It combined your background with your hands and your skill set to be able to get, but you know, I'm just curious, like no one ever really feels like they want to be in someone's mouth all day. Right. I mean, did that kind of resonate with you or like, did you kind of think about that or not really? You know, um, I don't recall having any, any, I didn't really even think about that part at the beginning. And so, like I said, once I took that course and I was also exploring different options of that, like I said, my mom's an ICU nurse. So I had kind of access to go in and shadow and be part of research and things at the hospital. And I could see what the different aspects of medicine were like. And gotcha. um, it just, it appealed to me to be, to be able to interact with people more. So like, it was a little bit, like you said, it was, it was the right thing at the right time, more so than something significant in my life happened. Now, later on, which I, I can, I can talk about now, if you want, that, that is something that um, I did have a, a it did, there was an impactful time period of time in my life in my when I was already practicing that kind of shifted me into the space where I'm at now. So gotcha. No, we'll get there in a second. So I'm just going to follow it up because I and again, I felt like you. there's an interview that you did with me and I was this is not payback. It was I just felt like it was a great interview and there were certain questions that I really had to think about. Um, my question to you is is going to be a bit um, just one of those just no filtered questions, if you will. So was there a certain aspect of it? Because I, I guess when I got into chiropractic, it was the same thing. Like I see a lot of similarities. I was a soccer player. My mom's a, a nurse. And um, so there's a lot of similarities there. And when someone when I got my back injured, it's like, OK, this is what I want to do. I finally knew what it was. And it was going to be a professional job. I didn't know how much insurance would reimburse and how the public really thinks about us. And, you know, there's a lot of things you don't see foresight with. But with dentistry, I don't think there's any confusion about it's a really good professional income to get into dentistry. 
let alone I like that I'm working with people and I'm doing so was did that I guess a two-part question did that factor into getting into it for you and how, what percentage would you say of dentists that get into dentistry are really are, are doing it because mainly because it's a very good um, profession to get into financially what would you say on that uh well I can honestly say when I was debating what I in college when I when I transferred after soccer I really didn't know what I wanted to do and it, it I, just having a good profession and making a good income for whatever reason wasn't at the top of my mind and like I said I just had specific interests and I knew what I would would be good at and that I was like okay what what would I like to do for the rest of my life? And, and science and math has just always been something that intrigued me. So I knew it was going to be something in the medical field. Now, I've learned a lot since then, and, and I've broadened my horizon since then. And I know there's a lot more th than math and science <laughs> going on in the world. But um, I just knew it was going to be something in medicine. And like I said, it was just the right moment at the right time. Like dentistry had never even occurred to me other than going to the dentist for cleanings and stuff like that never even crossed my mind. Nobody in my family's a dentist. I actually don't even think I really knew that, that like the, the actual income that a dentist would make at that point. Uh, right. Now, as far as it's really hard for me to speak for other people, I can say from my experience when I was in dental school, I would say the minority of people were, were concerned with how much they were going to make at once we once we finish school to put an actual percentage on it i, I it's really hard I, I really don't know now that i've been practicing for over 12 years i think the perspective definitely changes and i don't necessarily believe that that's a reflection on the individuals yes we all need to make a living and yes to we live in the united states which is a uh, capitalistic economy i mean do you, to have a comfortable life you have to make a you have to make a good living and financially speaking obviously there are a lot of other aspects to living a good life uh which we we may touch on but to stay focused on on your question i think the way the in, the medical industry itself is just set up with corporations and big pharma and these types of um i don't know this, the, these almost seeming like black holes that, that we've kind of created for ourselves you get into these these cycles where things are so insurance driven, like like you had mentioned, that volume become becomes a necessity just to stay in business in a lot of situations. Now, there are a few models in which it, it's taken me over twelve years to come to a bit of an understanding and reach a point where we don't have an insurance driven practice. And some people, there are some practices that are just completely dismissive of insurance. Like we, we don't deal anything with it. Now we're not in network with insurance where, where I practice, but we, if depending on the type of insurances that patients have, we will accept their insurance and then their insurance reimburses the patient. So whatever insurance you have, whatever deal you've made with the insurance, they're going to give that money to back to you. We have nothing to do with it. We'll just, we'll just send it and bill it for you as a, right. as a courtesy, because that can be a hassle for, for people that don't do these things. 
Right. I appreciate you answering the question and being a good sport about it. I, I It's more of my, my thought, and it's very similar in the chiropractic profession too, right? You could be insurance and out of insurance and so forth. I was just curious that um, are, are people that are getting into the profession, are they doing, because they just have this passion for the oral microbiome and, and the teeth and structural fixing it, is there a little bit of both? They just kind of weren't really sure. And it sounded like a good idea. I just, I was just kind of curious in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah. So let's, okay, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I was just going to say that. I mean, it, it's really hard for me to say now, uh, the, the, the few people that I, that are trying to get into dental school that I know personally really are passionate about health and dentistry in particular. Uh, th right. those are generally foreign trained dentists that, that have moved here that, that want to continue practicing. Uh, but I would say the majority of people actually do care and enjoy what they're doing. And right. again, it's just the, the, the cycle that we find ourselves in, in this medical system that kind of breaks people down and like that medical burnout that a lot of people experience. It's because we're not really taught how to handle ourselves, let alone present ourselves in a healthy way and practice six or five to six days a week and see right. X amount of patients a day and, and, and really do our best and be mindful about it. We're just not right. trained or, or educated in that, in that aspect. Right. Right. Good. Thank you. So as far as switching it up, so you, you're a holistic dentist slash biological dentist. So maybe give us the genesis of that. Was that something that you wanted to get into from the get-go or you kind of evolved into that? And maybe for the listener that doesn't know what exactly that means or what's that different between a, a regular dentist that's not holistic or biological um, let's maybe talk about those two things. Okay. So it was definitely a hundred percent an evolutionary process. Uh, I would say 90, at least 95% of dentists, if you go and, and you speak to them, it, it's probably gotten, it's gotten better, but in the 95% of dentists have never even heard of biological dentistry. Obviously people have heard of holistic medicine. So that's, that's why that term holistic is used. It's just so people just hearing that term, they know what you're talking about in a, or at least have an idea. Now, a lot of times there's a, there's a negative uh, stigma attached to that, uh, which is what we'll talk about now. So what biological dentistry is, it's completely science based. It, it, there's a lot of research that goes on all around the world um, surrounding biological dentistry. And what that essentially is, it's in a similar, in a similar uh, fashion to functional medicine. It's looking for the root cause of what's causing the problems in the body or in, in this case, in the mouth and how oral health is connected to systemic health and how systemic health is connected to oral health and how they interact with each other through different avenues like the oral microbiome, which is, uh, and the gut microbiome, which is a, a huge topic of, of research these days. So with that being said, not 90% or plus not knowing it's the, the concept that just seems logical with what you explained to me is not being taught in the traditional approaches or in the majority, like the 90% of the curriculums, they, they don't have very much training on that. And it's just sort of reductionistic. Let's just structurally address the mouth and that's it. That's all. A lot of it is very reductionistic and there, there, they do recognize correlations with certain diseases to oral health, like diabetes and cardiovascular disease. 
because they're, I mean, they're, they're just pro-inflammatory or hyper-inflammatory uh, disorders. But one of the big things that we do in biological dentistry is focus on methodology and materials and what we use and what we put or essentially like fillings are basically an implantation into your tooth or a dental implant, so to speak. What we put in your body needs to be what's called biomimetic or biocompatible, meaning it, it your body needs to accept whatever it is that, that we're putting in. And the, the least amount of toxic materials that we can use, the better. And those are the types of things that we look at. I mean, even we go as far as uh, providing uh, patients with blood tests so they can actually go get blood drawn and see if they are reactive to any of the materials used in dentistry, whether it's a filling material, whether it's a polish that they use in the hygiene room, whether it's an oral rinse that, that's used to different toothpaste or um, pretty much anything you can imagine. It's fascinating, Seth. So do you find that because you stress the fact that the biological dentist is, is scientific based, which to me seems redundant. I would assume it would be right. But I would imagine the reason you're saying that is because maybe some of the opposition from those that are sort of the, the rigid reductionistic traditionally trained don't feel that there's a validation to it, or they justify that it's not science or what was the need to sort of well, explain that? Yeah. Because I mean, for example, like fluoride and mercury amalgam fillings, uh, the, the, the research that that's been done around these things, who's, who's done the research, where's the research originated from. And a lot of times we, we don't know these things and, uh, and the way the, the research is done, it, I mean, there's in, incentive to do things in a very particular way. Whereas, um, biological medicine or holistic medicine, we, it, it's a, it, there's no incentive. There's no, we're not looking for a particular outcome. We're testing and, and observing results, creating hypotheses, testing, and seeing if the results are the same again. And what we see time and time and time again is that these things are neurotoxic, for example, like fluoride and mercury in the body. And when you have bigger governing bodies, for bit, especially in this particular case, the dental... Um, dental um, administrative uh, bodies just don't seem to recognize that these things are a problem. And you have to, I mean, once you start looking deeper into where the research originates from or where the funding from this comes from to this university, which did the research, which got published in this article. I mean, so yes, modern dentistry that you, that we would see in the, in a dental school is research-based but it's who's doing the research is, is right. the real big question. Right. And you're tipping over sacred cows, right? I mean, you're, these are things that um, have been long withstanded and, uh, and I guess clinically proven with biased or unbiased information. And it's like that with every research, by the way, not just that, but there are some, it's interesting. I can't remember what the book was, but the story I read on how fluoride actually got um, approved um, was, and I'm, I don't want to butcher the entire story, but from what I remember, it was sort of a waste product of heavy industrial um, pr production and being able to not pollute the waters or be able to monetize it um, and, and, and biasly 
create results that would show there's a need for it. it it's just quite amazing. So is there sort of just, and it's not really the, the angle I wanted to take, but is there is there certain doctors, like I know when some doctors call themselves functional medicine doctors, but they're not functional medicine doctors. They, they do things very traditionally. They don't look at functional ranges. They're prescribing medications and they're certainly not functional. So do you have that same phenomena of doctors that want to sort of capture the 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 market that they would otherwise not be able to get by saying that they are holistic or biological as well well to, so two things to, to rewind a little bit with the with the fluoride it, well, another really interesting fact about that is that i mean we're in the age of double blind placebo controlled studies and all these things there was no intensive research done on fluoride before it was aptly before it was actually implemented in the water supply and if you look at, um, I mean, I've posted about these things on Instagram and you, you can see the actual charts of different countries around the world and how they've reduced the amount of fluoride in the water as time's gone on. And it's like, well, well, why? Because now that they've actually started doing research, they see that there are actually problems with it and it bioaccumulates in the body and that fluoride is just everywhere. It's in the soil. So that's in our food. It's in water. It's in 95% of dental products, not just toothpaste, but everything you get act actually at the office. Like even the, a lot of times the, when the hygienist cleans your teeth and they polish your teeth afterwards, a lot of times that has fluoride in it. And it, like I said before, it's a neurotoxin. So now um, going back to, to what you were saying, I have heard from other patients that have come to see me that there are other practitioners that say they are biological dentists or functional dentists, and they're not doing things the way we do them, which is, for example, using what's called the SMART technique. That's the safe mercury amalgam removal technique that was created by the, the IAOMT, which is the International Academy of Oral Medicine Toxicology. So they've come up with basically like a, a baseline standard of how biological dentistry should be practiced. And then you, there's layers to that, of course. And again, that's right. the organization that is completely research-based. That's one of the organizations. So if anybody's curious, you can just go to IAOMT.org and you can find, and it's all on there for free. You don't have to pay for it. You can see all this about amalgam fillings. You can see things about fluoride. You can see things about root canals, different um, toxicity things that, that are used in, in general practice. So yes, there are people practicing that say they're biological or functional and aren't doing things to standard a biological standard based off of what I've heard from patients. Gotcha. So as far as the IAMOT goes, is that if I'm a doctor, if I'm a, a doctor like yourself, and I am of the mindset to be biological, and I join that organization, is it a matter of a, of a, a, a membership fee? Or do I take certifications to be hold my status? Like what, what's entailed of being a member of that, that association? So they, they actually just, they, they, because and this is, I know they have, I haven't heard anybody in from the organization say this directly to me, but to me, biological dentistry is just dentistry. That's just how dentistry should be practiced. So they actually, I, I agree. Yeah. All of the, the information in the videos, the educational videos for dentists on how to do things is free. You can just go on their website and see how it's done. Now, to be to get a certificate from them, just like other professional organizations, because th that's the only the only way they make money 
is through yeah, donations and through the dentists yeah. that join the mem- and pay their membership fees annually. Right. So yes, right. you pay you pay a membership annually, and I mean we have meetings two or three times a year. There's different um, groups and things that you can be a part of. There's mentorship um, opportunities within the the organization. Um, there's also um, you can you can become a fellow of of the organization and kind of work your way up. And, and like I said, there's different layers to how proficient you want to become and and well known as a biological dentist. Yeah, you're not an imposter just like hanging out at the IAMOT if you're not of that mindset and you have that sort of that that I guess the philosophy of of approaching uh, holistic healthcare that way. So I guess just to get off the subject with one more one more just inquiry, Seth. Would you say that as the profession ages and turns over and have newer, younger, maybe more, I would think more uh, open-minded or at least not as dogmatic about um, the research and the studies and where it came from, that there's a turning over, like they say, like, I don't remember the exact saying, but as uh, theories change as people die, right? Because you don't have the staunch dogmatic people defending something that's not accurate, um, they die. And now you have the truth prevails, right? So are you seeing a turnover in the profession in, in that case or not really? Um, I would say it's slow. And that's because the big corporations, especially like the the big dental corporations that are now taking over, um, right, instead of private practices, you have a lot of these bigger organizations that are creating um, like 10 offices in in South Florida of, of whatever name of the, of the offices. And a lot of times they, they offer, because these are big corporations, they can offer recent graduates great deals coming out of school. I mean, that's one thing that a lot of people don't understand is like you were talking about before that, yes, you can, you can make a very good living as pretty much any kind of doctor, but as a dentist, but you come out of school with a lot of loans too. So when someone's willing to pay you and a salary and you get these bonuses and things like that, it's very intriguing to someone that just recently graduated and has hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans to, to step into that kind of realm of things. And then that's just basically another corporate um, rabbit, I mean, uh, right. hamster wheel, so to speak. Right. They're not doing safe mercury amalgam removals. They're not like doing the sort of the different approaches in terms of the methodology and the materials being used and the fluorides and the awareness of, of the, of all of that. Correct. They're not, they're not. Yeah. I mean, I could see the intrigue, you know, especially same thing for me when I graduated and moved to Florida and I had to wait to take my license. The only places that would hire you are the big PI mills. Right. And they're not really what I wanted to go to school for. And I lasted two weeks and like, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm not going to stay here anymore. So it's unfortunate that happens, but anyway, so switching things up here. So I guess a sort of a, a left field question, what do you hate the most about your profession? Well, that that's actually really easy to answer the in, the insurance issues, the insurance companies, and how insurance. Dri- and now, in my the practice I'm in now, I don't I don't have that, but we have it a little bit because, like I said, we still have we still will submit things for patients, but the downgrading or the refusal to um, to cover something for a patient when the the patient was told or it's in their plan that this will be covered or they cover it differently. There's 
endless excuses as to or, or, or reasons as to why an insurance company will deny claims. Right. I'm sure this right. happens with, with your, your field. When, well. I rem- when I remember in a past life, yeah. Yeah. If you didn't rub your stomach and tap your head and jump on your foot and have a half moon out and the wind's blowing north to west, you're not going to get approved of certain, you know, procedures. Right? And it's just everything's insurance driven rather than health driven for the unique individual. And that's why that's one of the big reasons that I, I've shifted to where I'm at, because everybody's unique. All of our health needs are unique. Everybody's mouth. Yeah. Like you, you were talking about before, how you stare at everybody's you look into everybody, uh, different people's mouths every day. How 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 is that intriguing? But everybody's so unique and different, and that that it, it needs to be, we need to be treated that way in all of medicine. Yeah, for sure. So as far as that's a good segue, then in terms of you have your own um, social media and your. You're out there and, and you have something called Art of Mindful Medicine. So I'm, I'm curious to know of the, the genesis of that. Um, but in, the, in your intro, you talk about um, you, you do all these interviews and, and this research or just the, going in these different areas because of you can't specialize in everything and you would want to be able to get as much information as you can. So two-part question, what does it mean, the Art of Mindful Medicine? And what else would you be specializing in or what is what areas are you wanting to go into with that being the case? Well, so the art of mindful medicine, I mean, where do I start? Um, Okay, so I'm also a a yoga practitioner and yoga teacher and mindfulness has become a, a huge part of my life the past six or so years. And When the pandemic actually started, I mean, I had been looking to, to to how can I how can I do something? Because before the let's see, in twenty eighteen, I almost I I was getting burnt out. I was tired of just sort of treating the same thing over and over again, and not 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 being able to help people. So healing rather than treating, and it got to the point where I was burnt out and and couldn't stand how practices were run and how the insurance, everything was so insurance driven. And I, I just wasn't happy with how things were going. So I am, I took about a seven, seven month hiatus. And I almost left medicine com- completely. And then I, I sort of decided through my own self-discovery and self um, reflection to that I would be of a better, more benefit and greater change if of if of any change from within medicine rather than from the outside. So through that, I started practicing and viewing the world differently. And that's when I started looking into the and found biological dentistry. I had to ser- seek it out myself. No, like nobody told me about it. I, I was just doing my own research on these things. And then the art of mindful medicine came about at the beginning of the pandemic, like I, I said before, because at that point, we couldn't even work. We weren't allowed to see patients unless it was an emergency basis. So I said, this is the opportunity for me to continue to go within and see what, what can I do to give back beyond what I do in, in my practice. So I came up with the name, The Art of Mindful Medicine, and I wanted to interview other practitioners that viewed the world in a similar way that you and I view the world through a, a, a health healthcare system rather than a sick care system. And through holistic medicine, 
and natural medicine and functional medicine coming to get it, finding the root cause of what's going on with the unique individual. And I wanted to learn from people like yourself and share from the things that I've learned and have conversations so we can share this with people that don't have the opportunity to look up what Chinese medicine is, what biological dentistry is, what functional medicine is. So you can come, you can come and see uh, on a channel, you can learn from a vegan cardiologist to different biological dentists to functional medicine doctors like yourself about how lifestyle impacts everything that we do in life. And it's not just your genetics or it's, it's not just uh, luck of the draw that, that you're going to, whether you're going to be healthy or sick. So that, that mindful approach, that um, awareness of myself and the, the opportunity that I have to, to share what I've learned with other people and to, in, in this present moment, that's where the art of mindful medicine kind of stemmed from, because like I said, I was doing, I've done research and I've done rounds and I've, I've shadowed in hospitals and different doctor's offices. I, I see how medicine operates and mindfulness, the number one place mindfulness should be practiced is in medicine. And in what I've seen and what other people have shared with me, it is the opposite of that, where mindfulness is absolutely lacking in, in medicine in the Western world anyways. So that, that's right. kind of where that, that whole uh, channel on YouTube stemmed from. That's great. Thank you for sharing. So as far as where does that fit in now with your practice in terms of how you approach your patients and how it's being received and what additional role you play? What, what's, where, where are you now and where are you headed? So, it allows me to, again, have, have a, a greater scope, a, be a better view of the, of the person as a whole, rather than just above their neck. Now, it's not that I treat other things, but I can tell people how I've chosen to live life. And I can tell people how these things have had impacts on my life and what I've learned through other practitioners like yourself and refer patients to other practitioners like yourself when they have these kind of problems. And then we work together. And we create like a health team, so to speak, because we have to address And when, when people are sick, you have to start from the ground up and that's, we have to cover all of our bases and how that's worked for me. So it, it's allowed me to learn a lot about different, different areas of medicine and health that I just have, we don't, we, there's only so many hours in a day and being able to share that with patients say, Hey, I spoke to this person. We did an interview. You can watch this video. You can go watch their videos here. You can find you can find all this information. Go explore. Educate yourself to some degree and learn about where these problems in yourself are coming from. And then we can have higher level discussions and start implementing new things in your life to be healthy. And where where that's leading me, I, I don't have I, I just know it's a direction. It's not necessarily a destination. And um, it's one which I, I'm constantly seeking to become the greatest version of myself and learning as much as I can and constantly being a student and not just learning from other practitioners like you, but learning from people, learning from the patients, because people, it, that's one of the biggest things that I've learned to do is to just listen. And that's one of the biggest differences in, in the way I practice now from the way I practiced before is patience 
and spending time with people. And sometimes, sometimes uh, it, it can get a little carried away. It might spend a little too much time talking, talking to people, but creating those kinds of relationships and creating a level of trust and respect for each other makes a huge difference. I mean, when, when I authentically want to help you and you feel that, it makes a difference in how you want to approach the whole situation yourself. And that's the, that's the, what the, the art of mindful medicine is that that's, that's what I've tried to create for myself. And that's it, one of my outlets in sharing it. So it, it's a direction. Um, and I just want to grow that aspect of my life and my practice and share it with as many people as I can. For sure. No, thank you for sharing. I think it's, having the most impact, right, on the people that sit in your chair beyond just opening their mouth. And 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 it's a win-win. The more that you can listen to them and hear their them as a person and, and what their challenges are, who they are, it enriches you as well. So it's an equal exchange of energy. As far as um, I would imagine, too, with having a biological practice base, these people are going to be more open to this versus if you were in the insurance-based model that they might necessarily not want to hear it. And you're really going to be going upstream. So just a quick uh, pivot um, as far as what you love most about what you do, because we said, Hey, what about love now? Or I love most. I, I, the first thing that comes to mind is to get getting to know, people. I, I think we're so, we're, we're such amazing uh, beings and, and we learn and, and can share so much with each other. And I, I constantly have the opportunity to communicate and meet new people on a daily basis. And like I said, that, that I'm a constant student, as I said, and I get, I, I love the opportunity to learn from others every single day. Do you find at all that the external rewards, whether it's a, a different smile, um, a, a more, um, I guess, even physical changes because of whatever toxic elements or chemicals, better health from that standpoint, uh, maybe even less pain because they're not in, in, a, in a crisis like that. Um, do you ever see the product of your work immediately and and does that how, how does that like what are some of the the rewards you get from that absolutely i mean for example one of the most common um bad habits that that people have that's probably one of the most underdiagnosed issues in dentistry is what's called sleep disordered breathing which is on the same spectrum as sleep apnea and uh, one of the symptoms of that is grinding our teeth and this has been something that I've dealt with too. So it, it's been, it's very, very close to home for me to be able to talk to people about it. And people that are actually gr really grind and clench their teeth for whatever reason that, that it's going on, have, they suffer severely. I mean, from jaw pain, neck pain, back pain, you probably hear, have seen a lot of patients with this headaches, migraines, just they, they don't get, they can't, they don't get good sleep, which is instrumental for our health is sleep. So being able to work with people and, and um, get them to breathe better and create devices or, or prostheses which help them 
prevent them from grinding their teeth. And the, the inst almost instant relief of pain in some cases is amazing. I mean, the people's, the color comes back in their face. Yeah, that's great. So one of the, that's a good segue into just the role, not so much yet uh, into the oral microbiome, because I do want to get into that, but more in terms of minerals and food quality and the, the arches and the density of the bones and cavities and so forth. I guess, have you been doing it for 12 years? Did you, did you mention that or? A little over 12 long? years. A little over 12 years. Have you seen, or are you seeing now a change or more of an epidemic of bone density, just the, the, um, the, the arches and um, a lot of consequences of societal changes environmentally accelerated in the last 12 years? Is that a big part of why we're seeing some of these challenges more and more? I, I think it's a combination of things. So as my awareness has broadened and be, and become greater, I've started to look and notice things more. Um, now, and you look at studies and, you, and, and if we read and we can see the tendencies over the last 50 years and how airway collapse and jaws not fully forming and... Um, or people narrowing of the faces and things like that is absolutely been a tendency. Like there's, there, and nobody can deny it. It's just the question, the, the debate is around why. And yes, nutrition is a huge part of things. So mineral density and, and what, what, you know, our, our body is made of what we eat. And if we don't eat nutrient, high quality, nutrient dense foods, we don't get high quality, nutrient dense results. So yes, um, jaw formation and, and arch width and, and, um, proper, uh, proper dentition spacing and things like that. It, it absolutely is impacted by nutrition. And, and when I say nutrition, it's what we eat, but, but also how we eat chewing our food is one of, we, we are chronic under chewers in the United States. And what I have to coach people to do kind of is, is to have at least 30 chews per bite of food. And the one of the problems is processed foods. You don't have to chew it because it's already processed for you. It, it's pre-digested food, essentially. So all these starch, heavy starch foods and things like that, that aren't whole plant-based foods, you don't have to chew very much. So you can chew, you can put in your mouth, bite three, four, five times and, and swallow down and no problem. We need to be eating real foods because not only does, is that a natural cleansing process for our teeth, but it actually stimulates the jaw structure and the jawbone to form properly. So getting kids to do this from a very early age is essential. Yeah, that's a great, great answer. So as far as some of the, the challenges or some of the, the things that you remediate, that you look at, that are some of the topics you've talked about on your, your channel, and you'll share that with our listeners, and we'll put it in our show notes before we're done, is the three topics, I guess we would talk, well, two, I don't know if you probably talked about the third one, I didn't have a chance to do as much intel as I wanted, but um, talking about uh, root canals, right, so we'll go there, we're talking about um, mercury amalgams, and then I want to get into a little bit of cavitations and and so forth so maybe can you tell us about root canals um in terms of um take them out leave them i know you mentioned that um that's a hundred percent decision based on the patient and the doctor but as the doctor seth what 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 do you 
like what do we need to consider and why is it harmful and what yeah just give us the abc's one two threes on that so why it's why it's potentially harmful is because the the anatomy of teeth are very complex especially when you get into the root structure so a root canal which may you, people may or may not know is that you basically take out the main nerve of the tooth and then what you have to fill that with a, a biocompatible material to to leave what's essentially a dead tooth in the jaw now the problem is there's a lot of like i said the anatomy is very complex so there's a lot of different canals in the teeth that we can't properly clean an instrument with the technology that we have now they're they're using different sonic technologies and lasers and things like that to try and become be able to sterilize teeth completely but at this point we can we're not able to guarantee sterilized teeth 100 and then back so some form of tissue or bacteria is left behind in the tooth to fester and there's no more blood supply to the tooth because that's been cut off when the root canal is done so the immune system can't go and fight that area of the body so that infection festers with anaerobic bacteria generally and they create endotoxins and a lot of times that creates a, a dental abscess or an infection in the jaw and how that is going to affect me versus you versus somebody else is very unique to the individual some people don't even know it they, they i mean some people are also much more in tune with their health and we have different uh toxic burdens so to speak so my i might have my my jar of toxic burden might be a gallon whereas yours might be a quart so you wouldn't be able to handle as much issues and in, in, infl inflammation going on in the body as mine might be able to. So how that's going to result in, in I mean, these types of infections has been have been linked to certain types of cancers, to Alzheimer's disease, to um, thyroid disorders. I mean, there, there's just a, a plethora of different things that that have been linked to to root canals and and what can happen from from these types of infections that are left when not done properly. Now, is that every single root canal? No. Some, so, I mean, how do we check for these things? You ideally now to, in, in my view, the, the, the standard of care should be using uh, a CT scan, 3d imaging to be able to see what's going on in the person's jaw. And generally, if there's no signs, no symptoms, no nothing going on, most of the time i'd say we can leave it alone in those types of circumstances because we also you have to live we have to live in the real world too not everybody can just you know come in and start some people have four or five root canals some people can't either or either don't want for whatever reason or can't afford to just have all these teeth taken out just because they so have a root canal. Would it be an implant i'm sorry to interrupt so you, if you have a root canal that you're revising you're just replacing the entire like there's so many questions I have. So what, what are you doing to revise the root canal? So if, if there's an infection with the root canal, the, right. what, we, what you do essentially at that point is you can choose to have the root canal redone, which I would just never recommend because the success rate is substantially lower than what just doing it in the original the, for the first time. And the alternative is taking the tooth out cleaning out the entire infection. We use ozone at the office as, as an antimicrobial as well. Um, and then generally bone grafting the area, we use something called PRP, which is the, the patient's own blood that we, we spin in a centrifuge and it basically concentrates the, the patient's healing cells in the body into a little membrane. And we put that over the extraction site and you let that heal. Then later on, you can, you can choose to leave it, which I don't generally recommend. Uh, you can also have a dental implant placed 
or you can have something removable placed. But the ideal situation is to have a dental implant because that's the, the closest thing you can get to a natural tooth. Gotcha. Thank you. So just to back up, why would someone need the root canal in the first place? What went wrong? So the nerve became damaged irreversibly in some way or another, whether it's through a cavity, through trauma, a fracture, something like that. So it's typically a cavity, right? If there's, is that the majority of the reason someone's going to need a root canal? I would say yes, because a lot of times the tooth fractures because there was a cavity that wasn't treated. Right. And, and that could be secondary, not just to eating sugary foods, but because of minerals and density and fluorides. And, and so as far as um, when you said cleaning the instruments, you're actually saying the things that you go in there to do the root canal. Is, is that what you're saying? That you're not able to disinfect the instrument that you're using or you're not a, when you say instrument, you're not able to when oh. you do when you remove the root. You're, Sorry. I, yeah. I, I, when I mean instrument, I mean, we use the instruments, but I, I was talking about instrumenting in, in the tooth. So we're not able to completely sterilize the internal environment of these root canals 100%. Right. Are there, now you also mentioned um, biocompatible, um, uh, what, it, biocompatible materials? Materials. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what's the difference between just a regular, not, bio uh, biological dentist and uh, a traditional dentist with the materials that they're using Mm -hmm. so a lot of the just for example well fluoride and mercury amalgams i mean some people still place metal fillings and mercury amalgam fillings in people's teeth which is astonishing to me but they they still do it and mercury is a neurotoxin fluoride is a neurotoxin and fluoride is in definitely most of the composite resin filling materials and it's something that be, that gets released over time well so the material is placed it's cured it's put it's hardened it's in the tooth and over time they they've figured out ways to have fluoride slowly leaching from that material to help stabilize the stabilize the tooth from what they say now again fluoride is a neurotoxin if you ask these reps in these companies how well do you know how much fluoride is released from these and for how long they have no idea and if and the ones that do require you to sign a non-disclosure agreement to actually tell you the information interesting so okay so as far as are you how are you when you do is it that 3d cone bean x-rays that you're talking about is the gold standard and then are you seeing sort of silhouettes pockets of of um, dark spots that would in, would suggest infections. How are you determining the gold standard of, yep, it's infected, we need to do something about it, or no, it's not, or your toxic load is not that bad as mine? Like, what, like, what else goes into deciding that? Like, when you do the, like, d- when you do the x ray, how do you, so, how do you determine? Yeah. What we do is we always have a radiologist, a, a, a trained radiologist read these reports or create okay. reports. So right. they create reports and we, when we review the pictures as well, and a lot of times you just, you can see the, the infection, either an infection or a, a spacing between the tooth and the bone, meaning there's some sort of inflammation there. And sometimes there's not. And then again, it's just something you watch. And if there, there's no signs of anything going on, then it's something that we just monitor every three to five years because look, we're three-dimensional objects. 
if we just take a regular x-ray, that's a two-dimensional picture of what's going on. These CT scans, see, we can see things in 3D and you can create slices where you can see exactly what's going on in different layers, both width and height of the tooth. So you can see not only if there's an infection, but where it is and how big and, and where it's extended to, if it's affecting the sinus, if it's close to a nerve, things like that. And that's where I was also talking about before, where we create a health team. So yeah, some people might have an abscess. They could have had an abscess there for years and not known it. But how is that affecting their overall health? That's what we were talking about before with the toxic burden. That's where the health team comes into play, where we would have that someone see like a functional medicine, like functional medicine doctor like yourself. And then you run blood work and you and you can see what what else is going on in the body. What else is causing inflammation? Are there any other diseases or, or disorders or imbalances that the patient might, most people, a lot of times aren't even aware that they have uh, imbalances going on. Right, right. Yeah. Some of my toughest patients where we've done everything like, I, okay, there's got to be something I always, okay, we've got to go look at your mouth now, right? Because that's a major problem. How much, how often when we talk about cavitations, I would imagine that's very similar to is a cavitation only defined as when you pull the extract the wisdom teeth and there's pockets of fluid or could that even be a cavitation where there's been a root canal and there's signs on a 3d x-ray that that's the problem is that is that what the cavitation is yeah it's basically uh, what what happens is when uh, any tooth it, it doesn't have to be a wisdom tooth but a tooth is removed and essentially um dead tissue remains and builds up and, and becomes almost almost like a, a fluid and and gel-filled pocket in the bone and that the body kind of wards off and just kind of tries to keep in, in in this in that area of the jaw but yeah it doesn't have to be from necessarily a wisdom tooth can it be from a root canal or no a root canal tooth yeah root, root canal tooth can have a pocket of fluid that would be defined as a cavitation no no so a cavitation is like once a tooth is already missing there's this uh radio radiopathic area in the jaw so basically, it looks like there's an infection where there's right. no other tooth around it or anything like that. I see. I see. But it would be very similar in terms of physiology that where the root canal was done, that there wasn't sterilization and there was a lot of festering buildup of anaerobic microbes that it creates a, uh, it, the same issues that a cavitation would. Are they looked at similarly or, or not really? Uh, not They're not really looked at similarly. Um, it's... It's, it's different because a lot of times when you, when you leave necrotic tissue in, in the jawbone, if it, it's not, that's why when we, when we remove teeth or do any kind of surgeries, the entire area needs to be properly cleaned, not just the, the, the soft tissue, but also the bone around it that was warding off that infection is generally dead too. So when right. you leave that behind, that's where these kind of areas of cavitation can be can form because there's no fresh and healthy blood supply to the area. So the immune cells can't help heal that part of the body. Right, so right. It's similar to, to root canals, but it, it's, it's a little bit different. Right. I know. I appreciate it. I get now after talking to you and I appreciate it where having dexterity and being good with your hands and having a good skill set would really matter as a dentist, right? Because you're doing these precision like maneuvers. I guess, I, I mean, just like any profession, there's great, great stars and there's not so great stars right i i would imagine that that happens all the time i would i would imagine so so i mean obviously some people are have better manual or um, hand-eye coordination and, and better dexterity than others 
Right. Right. So as far as just, we won't go too long, but as far as mercury amalgams, um, is, would you recommend in every instance that someone has uh, an amalgam that's mercury that they shouldn't have it in there? I, what I'll say is I would never have one in my mouth based off right. of what I know. Yeah. Why is it sort of a taboo subject? I don't know. I honestly don't know why, because there, there's nothing, it, it doesn't improve your health in any way. You know, the, the, the mercury is a known neurotoxin and there's like, again, like on the IOMT, there's a plenty of research showing how mercury vapor is released from these fillings when there's any sort of ex excess heat created. So when you're having hot coffee, if you're grinding and chewing your teeth commonly, I mean, the, you're, you're creating friction, which creates heat. And that is going to release mercury vapor. How much over how long? I mean, it, it varies for the individual, but breathing in these things is the worst way to become exposed to it. Yeah. But why is it taboo though? You didn't really answer that. Like, I no. mean, yeah. I mean, it, I guess it's, it's taboo because it's been used for so long because these things it's been used for decades and the FDA, to the FDA just a year and a half ago, just now started came out in the middle the, the in the middle of the pandemic saying that certain people certain individuals pregnant women people that want to get pregnant people um women that are breastfeeding uh people with kidney disease people um with other uh chronic illnesses uh people with uh um neurocognitive neurocognitive disorders should not have these types of fillings placed now why is that but so there, there's some there's become some sort of recognition, and I think people in these organizations are inching closer to saying, "All right, we're not going to use this anymore. We everything else is better." But I don't know if there, if there's ever going to be say, like, "Oh, these things caused all these problems. This is why we're not going to use it anymore." But they're yeah. just inching inching away from using them. Yeah, I get it. Uh, but you know, eighty eight, if not more, percent of Americans are are metabolically unhealthy. And I think you could extend it to 88% or more should not be having that exposure. And I, and I agree with you too. I think it's a little bit of cognitive dissonance. If I was a dentist for 50 years and I was very dogmatic and didn't want to think about me kind of making the problems worse, I, I, could, I, could, I could either change my belief or, or change my, my behavior. Right. Mm -hmm. And I guess the belief is to somewhat justify. It. And I think also, too, there'd be a lot of fallout in terms of admitting wrongdoing, right? With all the people that have had it's, un it's unfortunate that it happens. And thank you for being forthright with your approach and being diplomatic about it, too. So I appreciate that. So, as far as oral microbiome goes, uh, why is that important? And how can we? Uh, maximize our oral microbiome, if, you know, or, or at least not maximize, but make it as healthy as possible. Yeah. So the, the oral microbiome and, and really the gut microbiome has become one of the biggest research topics in the world the past decade or so. And what that, the, one of the reasons why is because we discovered that about 50% of the DNA in our body is bacterial. So 
that impacts our health, like the health and the balance of the bacteria in our, in our body impacts our health directly and as well as indirectly. So the microbiome is basically all the, the microorganisms, microorganisms that make up a particular area of the body. So there's the, the oral microbiome, you have a nasal microbiome, your, your lungs have their own microbiome, your brain has a microbiome and then the gut. So the, but the guts, the mouth all the way through to the other end. And there's different makeups, uh, as you, as you go down. And as far as how we can optimize it, everybody's, everybody has a unique microbiome, like everybody has a unique fingerprint, but there is a lot of overlap. So we, again, there's still a lot of research going into this, how we can optimize things. Some of the best things we can do is oral hygiene practice. Great oral hygiene practice is so, so, so important just because our diets are not optimal. Even if you're, you're eating a, a majority plant-based foods, it's the the nutrition density in a lot of our foods these days isn't what it once was. So proper nutrition, proper oral hygiene, proper going to the dentist. And, and, and when you say proper oral hygiene, sorry to interrupt, what do you mean? Flossing, brushing? Flossing every day, every, every night before you brush and brushing twice a day. A lot. No, a fluor lot no fluoride, no fluoride toothpaste, no right? Fluoride Can toothpaste. You, is there is there access to a lot of those? I mean, are there specific brands that you can get now that go out of your way that doesn't have them that you like that you recommend? Yes. They're, they're, so the one that I use myself is a brand called Risewell, and that's what we use in the office. And there's another brand that's also I've heard is also really good called Boca. And these two brands, they, they're all natural ingredients. And they had their the main active ingredient is called something called hydroxyapatite. And hydroxyapatite is a natural compound found in our body that makes our teeth and bones hard. And this right. is actually through research is shown to remineralize and help with sensitivity better than fluoride. And it's safer because it's right. not toxic at all. It's a natural compound. Right, right. So all so of these affect that. the oral microbiome. Right, got you. And um, do you recommend there's kinds that have activated charcoal or there's um, rinses with ozone? um things like that do you ever recommend those as well or not so, so much mouthwash is actually one of the, the the biggest problems when it comes to the oral microbiome you want to never use alcohol-based mouthwash anything that says it's antimicrobial is just killing everything in your mouth generally speaking right. so the the over-the-counter mouthwashes and stuff i would never really recommend um i know risewell has a mouthwash that that's all natural i'm, I'm not sure about boca actually um but those things will all impact the oral microbiome. And yeah, the there's also a lot of ozonated stuff too. Uh, what's your thought process on that? So if you're going to use something regarding ozone, you have to work with a practitioner that knows how to use ozone. Now, there are some things that I think you can get over the counter like ozone gels and things like that. But I don't, it depends. It really just depends where you're, you're getting them from, what source you're getting them from. So I would, I would, always suggest getting it from your biological dentist if you're going to use an ozone gel. And for, like, for example, we use ozone water and ozone gas in the office every single day. But you have to work with a trained practitioner that knows how to properly administer and use these things. Right. Yeah. I have a podcast that I interviewed someone on that and gave me some insight. And I always like to talk to the professional to, to get their insight as well. So um, I, I could talk to you for more and more. There's so many things that I want to get into. Maybe we'll have a part two if you're open to that. But um, I appreciate your time, Seth. As far as the question that I always like to ask people on my show is, 
knowing what you know now versus what the bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Seth may not have known back then, what would you have told yourself that would have helped you with your health journey in terms of um, just being healthier, more proactive, um, dealing with life, stress, uh, any type of health issues? What would you have told yourself now, uh, then, that you know now? I think the one, probably the if one of the most instru- instrumental things that I've I've come to understand is is that phrase "know thyself," and I feel once once we learn to go within and learn about ourselves, we can better understand and show up in the world around us, and that is what led that that the start of that journey is what kind of led me down this path to becoming. And, and constantly wanting to become the best version of myself. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. It's kind of along the lines of what I said, where, you know, the cognitive dissonance, when there's, when you don't know yourself and, and you're acting out of alignment with what sort of resonates with you, that creates a lot of internal stress, right? So yeah. the more you're authentic and you, you're not hypocritical and you practice what you think, right? And there's not any incongruency between that, then it's, I mean, have you felt like there's a shift in your health? You haven't, you're not as burnt out anymore like you were at the start of COVID and stuff like that? For sure. A hundred percent. I mean, I I come into the office every day feeling more energized and, and, and I, and I leave feeling more satisfied because of it. That's great. So, so how do people find more out about what you do? You have your own uh, YouTube channel. You practice in South Florida. Give us some insight on where to find you. Yeah. So uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's at mindful.doctor. Uh, the YouTube channel is the art of mindful medicine. And I have a website called www.mindful.doctor. And then the office website is www.ourholisticdentist.com. All right. I'll make sure I put those in the notes as well. And I will say on like out loud to keep my myself accountable. I have some major dental issues that I have to go see Dr. Seth with, and I would love to be showcasing my journey. Um, I, I still have mercury amalgams in my mouth. And for some reason, I've been the doctor, not the patient. So it's time to switch that up and, and showcase my journey. So you'll have to keep me accountable now that I've broadcasted that to the millions of millions of people that watch this. So super <laughs> excited to talk to you, Seth. Thank you so much for any uh, all the information you provided. Any last words of wisdom that you want to share? Uh, no, I just want to thank you. I'm, I'm, re- I'm really uh, grateful for, for the opportunity to come and talk and, and, and just share my experiences and, and what I've learned and what I'm continuing to learn. And just to stay grateful for where we are, what we have and, and the, the wonderful lives that we're living. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, After our last podcast, we talked about maybe being able to help each other because your chocolate and my peanut butter, you know, can work really well together in terms of looking at what what else can someone do besides doing these safe removals and and being able to really get their their oral microbiome in check uh, there may have already been lots of challenges that are impacting their their energy production um, their ability to detox then they have these genetic susceptibilities that make these things worse but from my point of view 
the ones that aren't responding, what should be typically, okay, we got, we shot probably should have started with the, the mouth and what's going on. But usually it's one of those things that doesn't get addressed right away. And you'll see the combination of our work together really improve the lives of a lot of people. So thank you so much, Seth. Um, and I look forward to our next conversation. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Joel. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of your Adrenal Fix podcast, where our goal is really to teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their energy back quickly. And if you happen to be suffering with your own exhaustion and fatigue-based problems and you're not getting answers and you're frustrated and you're concerned and you really want to get back to the things that you're not able to do, then maybe it's time for you and I to book a discovery call. If that makes sense to you or what we talked about makes sense to you, then this is an opportunity for you and I to troubleshoot and figure out what's going on in your body, what's not working, what have you tried, how's it impacting you. Most importantly, figure out where you want to go with your health and why you're not able to bridge that gap. And if I feel I can help you and all the things that you need to be doing, I can recommend to you, I'll let you know. And if I don't know, I'll tell you that too. But my goal is for you to leave this call with a step-by-step game plan to learn how to bridge that gap and get your life back quickly. If I feel I can help you, I'll tell you what that will look like to work together. However, there's no obligation to do any further work and there's no charge for the call whatsoever. It's just really a one-on-one time for you and my team member or myself to get true value out of what's not working with your health and what are you missing in order for you to make that next step. If that makes a lot of sense to you, then go ahead and go to www.adrenalfatigueworkshop.com, all one word, adrenalfatigueworkshop.com forward slash apply. Now spacing is limited and it's a first come first first served basis and you have to be willing to to make that next step to get your health back or at least be serious about it if we feel we can help each other just go to www.adrenalfatigueworkshop.com forward slash apply and i look forward to giving you value and getting you your health back